0: In the of the 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 of the earth
1: Well well well, welcome to Tuesday's Agitators Anonymous. I'm Alan Averill, the singer in a heavy metal band etc, etc. And Tuesday's podcast is of course, a little bit shorter, a little bit more light, shall we say. Um, A bit more about music, music culture, um, a sort of sideways look at rock and metal and all that kind of thing. And today's episode is um, one that appeared on my Patreon ages ago, which is me waxing lyrical, so to say, waffling, eulogizing my favorite record of all time. What is that? Well, just wait and see. The suspense will literally kill you on a rainy damp gray sort of normal dublin tuesday evening all right little bit of housekeeping so to say follow me on empty angle underscore primordial primordial underscore official uh, over on instagram if you want to go over and hear podcasts like this on patreon only you know months before they come out and um, some of them don't come out at all uh, in uh, you know on the main podcast. In fact, at least two a month don't. Um, and all sorts of other things. go over to patreon.com, Alan Averill, etc, etc without further ado. Here you go. here is me waffling about my favorite album of all time. What is it? Well, wait and see. So I thought I would make a little bonus podcast discuss something that I've been probably talking about for about 30 years, I guess, ever since um, Christmas of 1988. My uncle gave me this record for Christmas, I guess. Um, he used to work in a secondhand record store in Dublin at the time and used to um, sometimes pick out, let's call it first refusals of records for me. Uh, and, you know, would call up and say, oh, we have this, this and the other. Do you have, I don't know, Haunting the Chapel on record, that kind of thing. So I was about 13, I guess, um, when I got what would turn out to be my favorite album of all time. So I thought I'd make a little a little podcast about it, because I think it's one of the most underrated heavy metal records ever made. And I've been saying that for years and years every time everybody ever asks me that question what's the most underrated metal record of all time and i always say the same thing in fact i've probably been saying the same thing since about 1990 um so let's take a look at it it's holy terror mind wars um i've got it right here in front of me and so i'm gonna kind of well just reminisce a little bit about it talk about it discuss the things I like and still like. I still listen to this record very, very often. There's never been a period that I remember where I fell in or out of love with it. You know, we go through phases in our teenage years, and our 20s, where we seem to be listening to, I don't know, maybe I could say for a year or two, I listened to a lot of Fields of the Nephilim or Sisters of Mercy, and wasn't that much listening to as much... Judas Priest or whatever but Holy Terror this record has always stuck with me and it's an it's an odd choice it's a left field choice people look at me slightly dumbfounded or confused when I say it's my heavy favorite heavy metal record and my favorite record of all time Um, as they expect I guess Iron Maiden or Slayer or me to be cool and pick you know Nick Cave or Pornography by the Cure or I don't know Towns Van Zandt or something but no it's a record I heard when I was 13 years old that had a massive impact on me. Um, so the thing about Holy Terror, especially, I mean, this is speed metal, this is thrash metal, and this is their second album. Turn Submission is the first record. Turn Submission is uh, a strange m- record, more heavy metal, but it's got a sort of st- odd apocalyptic, very dark shroud to it. they had a very individual way of writing. The riffs are. Um, there's a dark shroud over this band. And maybe that's one of the things that appealed to me so much about it, because in contrast to the Testaments or Defiances or all the sort of um, Bay Area Forbidden and all that kind of stuff, um, all those kind of bands that never really appealed to me that much. um, Holy Terror has something dark. There's a kind of curious intellectualism about the lyrics, which I suppose appealed to my sense of, Lovecraftian, Poe, gothic horror as a teenager. Um, which, you know, admittedly looking back, there's a socially conscious um, inheritance, I suppose, uh, within the lyrics that's slightly lost, maybe, on my 13, 14-year-old self. But the band was started by Kurt Kilfeld, Moved to L.A., early to mid-80s, joined Agent Steel. You'll notice the song Debt of Pain. Uh, second song on the album also appears on Skeptic's Apocalypse. Uh, it's, it's called Back to None or Back to One. Um, same song. He kind of didn't get credited for it. Um, so took it and put it on this second Holy Terror record. First thing you'll notice is that if you were to look at this record on the, on the racks back then in 88, 89, uh, well, it's from 88, uh, the artwork is striking. It's in contrast to some of the It's Repka-esque, but not really Repka-esque. I guess it was their tattoo artist who made their logo. And this incredible bone structure, one of the most complicated and brutal logos you'll ever see. And the sort of um, two-headed kind of serpent figure ripping apart a crucifix, uh, which has strange sort of bloody intestinal context to it. Um, set to this sort of cinematic backdrop. It looks like some sort of desert scenario, uh, which carries on from Terror and Submission, a similar sort of artwork. I guess it's somewhat copied from a medieval Reformation image of a serpent entwined around a crucifix, um, which you can find if you look up, well, if you're into all that kind of medieval, uh, macabre sort of, Art, the artwork is striking, and at thirteen years old, fourteen years old, to look at this on the on the f- the wall of the record store, that this is the same year as Bloodfire Death by Bathory, and those two records, I remember standing looking at them for what seemed like hours, just staring at the covers because they were totally in contrast to the thrash metal style of the time, which was um, very much in the sort of toxic waste toxic wasteland, nuclear fallout um, style. And Holy Terror kind of completely goes against this. The artwork on the back is this, again, sort of Hellraiser derivative, very arresting, very strange. And it just attracted me to the band even more than, as I said, Testament or something, which was never really my bag. I never really resonated much with the bands. Um, Like, I always hated things like, Acid Rain and all this kind of jokey, kind of blokey thrash. I always liked things that were of the other, whether that was Celtic Frost or um, had to have a little bit of leather and studs and nails and Satan about it, whether it was possessed or something. Um, Merciful Fate, Venom, of course, that kind of element of theatrical to it. No, not that we ever, not that, of course, Holy Terror had that because they were still a kind of jeans and T-shirt band, but the music had this incredibly complex, apocalyptic feel to it, and I would wager that in 1988 this is maybe the five best maybe the five best musicians in a band together um, up there with Voivod, Coroner I'm talking thrash metal now, and I don't count maybe Watchtower as part of that You, the band is up there with Megadeth in terms of their technical prowess their technical ability, the drummer is probably better than, I would say, away from Voivod for the time in 88. Certainly back then, when you're recording reel-to-reel, the technical prowess of bands who weren't able to drop in, as they say now, um, the technical prowess of bands who were recording reel-to-reel live in the room, and the process of dropping in was so complicated in that you had to splice tape um, to make edits. It really was like having, you know, a reel. I spoke about this generations ago on the podcast, but um, recording reel-to-reel and then dropping in, going back, was very much like a cassette tape recording over something and trying to get that, because a reel is just basically like a large cassette tape. Um, So the technical prowess of the precision skill of some of these riffs and recording them is quite breathtaking if you consider, that, like I said, a lot of bands now will just drop in and out um, and cut and paste and you can make a song sound incredibly tight now and never even have to play in the same room or never even really have to play essentially in time because somebody can just quite easily edit and quantize drums, i.e. move them into the timing, the right timing. So. The precision laser, like laser, razor-sharp riffing is off the charts. It's off the dial here. Um, Something like Christian Resistance, I remember sitting at Vakon 20 years ago and somebody said to him, we're having this discussion, oh, what's the greatest heavy metal riff of all time, and Heaven and Hell and Phantom of the Opera and everything, and I just thought Christian Resistance by Holy Terror, this is a song that just crushes me still to this day. The power and energy and exuberance in this riff, and that's one thing that defines old heavy metal that I think sometimes is missing now, and that is the almost gonzoid, reckless pursuit of energy. The transferal of energy, to you as the listener, is so specific to the 80s, in my opinion. The 90s, it's similar, but the 80s, especially with thrash and speed metal, when it was all about that transferal of energy, is absolutely incredible. And it's one of the things that's lost from modern heavy metal now is that when you listen to Creator, 19, let's, this is the 1980s now, listen to Creator, you can hear Millet's tone. You can almost put together probably what head, what amp, what guitar, what his settings were. And they're different to Piggy from Voivod's. They're different to Tom G's and Celtic Frost. They're different to... Um, Possessed to Jeff Beckero or, or Mike Suss and Larry Leland, they they all have different tones. Hanneman has a tone, Headfield has a tone, Mustaine has a tone, and these are something that got lost in the modern realms of heavy metal, where everything is about plugins and pods and inserts and um, often rec- times recording without real amps. Um, when you listen back to the 1980s and listen back to the bands, as soon as Tom G's feedback starts in Dethroned Emperor, you know it's Tom G you know that and this is something that's missing from so much of the 20th century on version of heavy metal now maybe that's just to do with recording styles tape analog the bands aren't rehearsed enough now or they just don't have the money or maybe it's just a lost art the lost art of tone anyway holy terror has tone in spades they have tone in spades and one of the most important things is also the bass the bass here is hard, it's it, it's gnarly, it's got a, enough drive on it, it's not just a hum in the background, and that's one of the things I love again about 80s metal, and the thing that we learnt from Motorhead and then lost is that too much modern metal is so saturated with the middle end of guitars that the bass doesn't really have room, whereas in the 1980s and the 70s listen to Motorhead Overkill, listen to Man of War, Into Glory Ride, the bass is underpinning the music. It's not designed to just tuck in as this nice little throb under the music, which of course you know in my own butchering of playing the bass in Dread Sovereign is very much my modus operandi to make it as the underpinning gnarl under the music and Holy Terror definitely has that but they have two incredible guitar players on either side and one of those things that I love about the 80s thrash bands is they really wrote solos. Like they really sat down, I think, and worked out incredible solos, whether it's with Bonded by Blood and you have the H team. Go-
0: a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. That plush, And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST.
1: On back and forward, Holy Terror Mind Wars has some of the same stuff. The, the, the twin soloing in Christian Resistance about two-thirds of the way through is... It is breathtaking and it's a lost art. Bands don't really do that. Everything is about sweeping and shredding and blah, blah, blah. But it has no, to me, hey, look, I sound like an old fart, but it has no personality. It has no character. And those are the things that give 80s bands, for me, always the edge over modern stuff. I'm not going to get into 90s stuff. That might be for another discussion. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a lost art. It's one of the things that we love so much about Selim from Devil's Blood was this, his tone when he played a solo, his his beautiful texture and richness of tone um, and the ability to be able to make those parts so distinct. And that's very much an inheritance, okay, from 70s hard rock, but I'm, I've gone off the beaten track a little bit there. But with 80s heavy metal, there's always that deference to the tone, and you know, these were bands that rehearsed in the basement every other day, every day of the week, and who just w- lived at and breathed the potentiality of their band. Because I'm very much '80s heavy metal is defined by its feeling that it 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 wants to succeed, it wants to take over the world. It's not imbued, for example, with the world weariness that grunge imposed on it. It's not imbued with the sort of world weariness of some other forms of music, it's very much reaching for something of the other. Now, I think that underpinning Holy Terror is, is, is something very dark. And having spoken to Millay from creator who told me some stories about them on tour, about the band falling apart on tour fights, them being very um, out of control kind of guys, out of control kind of band. um, It, you can sort of hear that, almost on the edge reckless energy within the music at least i can maybe it's the power of suggestion because uh, Millet's stories about the band were so um engaging you know um but certainly there is something of the other two and it's very it's a kind of incongruous record for american thrash in in the sense that it feels european to me in that it feels more serious but the musicianship, the musicianship is serious, as in the American bands always seem to be able to play better than the European thrash bands in the mid-late 80s. But often the tone of bands like Bathory and Candlemas seem to be more serious to me than the kind of, you know, atomic waste displaced, another toxic landfill, blah, 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 blah kind of stuff. Never really appealed to me in a, how can we say in the dark occult kind of way that your teenage brain resonates with, as I said. Holy Terror fills all those criteria. It's full of apocalyptic, dark, um, dystopian imagery. And the lyrics themselves, the lyrics are fascinating. They still hold up. There is an intellectuality, a weight of intellectuality to them that maybe only Voivod and Coroner, bands like this, had. And where you can tell somebody clever has really written these lyrics. I mean, the the the, the three-part A Fool's Gold, Terminal Humor, and Mind Wars that ends side one um, is, you know, it's, it's, it's a kind of, you know, I mean, some of the lyrics here are quite incredible. I'm trying to look for something that's a good example. Um, but you know so lock the door and cock the rifle sitting waiting patiently looking for a moving target in this windswept no man's land that was once home to all your children who left escaping prisons bars they now are part of those outside and hated from behind closed doors etc I admit I kind of took some inspiration from these kind of words for the Blood Revolt album in Doctrine Um, the idea of the kind of um, outlaw the lone outlaw uh, taking revenge on society Um, and there seems to be uh, an incredible amount of a forethought gone into this. Um, damned by judges, no resurrection. Um, were laden with a sort of intellectuality that really appealed to my bookish, nerdish teenage self. Uh, along with Darkness Descends, Leave Scars by Dark Angel, which also had this way. Maybe Dark Angel is a, is a good sonic comparison for Holy Terror. Um, and then we come to, well, for me, the star turn of the record, and there's many star turns, and that's the singing of uh, the sadly now dead Keith Dean on vocals. Um, his turn is a star turn, and this is what makes the album for me, is that it's not just thrash metal singing. This is singing, singing. There are parts in this record that would have Bruce Dickinson in a sweat trying to copy. Um, he hits such high such ferocity such velocity of words that he's spitting out and they're all there's there's complex rhythms going on here in the vocals and his style he can go from almost brutal death metal to a soaring as i said dickinson um high pitched uh, incredibly melodic involved mm, string of notes for want of a better phrase, it's quite incredible. The, he has a he has a Dio-esque range that um, I would have loved to hear him maybe almost try and sing something like a you know uh, he could he could do a wee rock he could do a kill the king I can hear this the the voice is raw and reckless but full of uh, tenacity and his his turn is a is a star turn it's absolutely incredible compared to the. Many, many thrash vocalists at the time. Many, many. A lot, thrash, again, like I talk about the tone of guitars that. I talk about the tone of guitars from the 80s that have so much character, but i, I got to give it to 80s thrash bands, whether it's John Connolly or Don Doty or, um, you know, uh, Jeff Becerra. They all have different f- kinds of tones to their voice. It wasn't just cookie cutter, you know, kind of modern. Brutal death metal vocals without any character. But with Keith Dean, he has all points nailed. there are screams that are almost straight out of something black metal-esque. There are notes, as I said, that are Flight of Icarus, that are that sort of peace of mind, Maiden style. It's obvious he was into Priest. It's obvious he was into um, maybe more melodic hard rock. I read that he was also quite into AOR stuff. Maybe that's true, maybe that's not... I don't know, but certainly, it fits to the backdrop of this insanely complex, technical, uh, aggressive music, which which with such incredible velocity to it, and yet at the same time never just pointlessly aggressive. You know, you can look at the back and see the guys wearing Agnostic Front t shirts and hardcore shirts and stuff, but the music sounds completely divorced from hardcore in that sense. It's 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 template, its backdrop is maiden and priest to me and um, it's it's melodic heavy metal but it's it's at such a tempo and velocity that um, it seems perfect for a singer who understands the um, who would understand the melodic to have a field day over but by no means is it easy I mean the singing in the singing in do unto others for example is a thr- thrash metal nightmare Uh, or a vocalist nightmare. Somebody who, with Primordial, gets to, oh, whatever, you know, bad example, but start on a note, sing across the note, and land on blah, 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 whatever, without any... God, that was really terrible. Um, No, what I'm trying to say is, I can start on a beat, sing across as the music moves slowly underneath me, and land somewhere to sing in such a tight fashion along to the rhythm section as thrash metal does, I think would be beyond my concentration. And certainly beyond my concentration for remembering lyrics live. How those thrash metal bands did this when they were remembering complicated lyrics without probably earpiece monitors. um, Not that I've ever played with earpiece monitors, I have to admit, um, which is probably to my detriment. But how they... In small clubs, noisy clubs with the speed, we're able to nail singing like this. Because if you listen to the Holy Terror bootlegs that are on one of some of the many double CDs, um, and also thank also on the record I helped um, produce, which is called Guardians of the Netherworld, which is their demos uh, and a few live shows. And I contributed liner notes to this, if some of you maybe don't know. It was released by The Crypt, Dark Descent that's actually five years ago now looking at it and that was a that was a really great pleasure and honour to take part in kind of having a a little say in what the artwork was in the liner notes in the pictures and um, like I I bought the demo on as a bootleg CD about 20 years ago from some bazaar in Turkey if you can believe that some kid sent it to me in like 1996 and that was like gold dust Anyway, I, I'm rambling now, um, but overall, this is a record that has stood to me through lots of thick and thin times, it's a record I can still put on and feel every single note, and it has the beauty, the the absolute beauty of recklessness about it, the beauty of, it sounds to me like a band who weren't second-guessing anything, who were just literally playing for their lives, It's it's so intense. And it never stops giving up something to me Um, it never stops revealing uh, a harmony a melody that I hadn't really thought about before and it makes me want to go and put it on just looking at it looking at the old tattered vinyl sleeve and looking at the old vinyl makes me want to go and play it which I will do after talking about this but to me it's the most underrated heavy metal record of all time and also the best heavy metal record of all time so there you go um i just thought i'd make a little discussion a little chat post a link somewhere to maybe people can hear it uh kurt killfeld went on to play with the band Zeke. zeke i think is still playing with him mike alvard has a band called mind wars as well um but the reality is that once Keith Dean departed, any chance of really having some kind of um, reformation uh, really died with him. Um, to re- try and replace those vocals would be almost impossible. You know, oddly enough, I used to write to Kurt Kilfeld maybe 20 years ago, and they did, I think, come back to play one show with the singer of a Iron Maiden covers band to like 25 people. He told me that was a bit of a disaster. And I do remember... Now, maybe this is my faulty memory playing tricks on me, but that I'd sent him all the, holy t- all, the, all, the, all the primordial stuff and everything, and he'd kind of floated the idea, oh, if we made a demo, would you be interested in trying to see, you know, kind of like picture, how we say, throw your hat in the ring to maybe trying to sing over it? No, I'd have to go back and somehow manage to hack my... Hotmail and get back into it from 20-odd 20, 20 years ago to see did I remember that correctly but I remember thinking to myself that I couldn't do it that I wouldn't be able to ruin my favourite band and that to be judged on the terms of a Keith Dean, to be judged f- on the terms of such an, uh, an album that made such a great impact to you um, would be just too much especially for Uh, my vocal ability of 2002 or (laughs) 3. Now uh, I wouldn't mind having a go at, you know, doing a cover of one of the songs. In fact, Primordial did record drums and I think guide guitar for a cover of Distant Calling from Terrence of Mission that we never got round to rounding out that maybe I should try and bully everyone into finishing um, just to satisfy my own uh, curiosity, my own Selfish pleasure and delight at being able to sing one of the greatest heavy metal songs of all time, Distant Calling from Terran Submission, by the way. Um, what a vocal hook. Anyway, 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 I digress. If you don't know this record um, and you're listening to me going, what the fuck is he talking about? I will post a link underneath. Take a listen. That is a little bonus, blah, de, blah, de blah, a Brucey bonus um, of me fanboying over Holy Terror Mind Wars, which I'm going to go and put the needle on the wax right now. There you go. Hi, I'm
0: Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.